Welcome to the Ditch the Suits podcast, where we get real about the stuff no one in the financial world wants you to know about. Learn how you can better manage your family's wealth while protecting it from financial exploitation and so-called financial advisors. Here's to your financial awakening. Welcome your hosts, Steve Campbell and Travis Moss. Welcome back to Ditch the Suits. Steve Campbell here with you. Today, we will conclude part three of our investment series, where we've discussed this idea of investment monsters. In part one, we talked about your mutual funds and how you may not be as diversified as you think, but we also shared what you can do about it. In part two, we looked at avoiding bad investment decisions and how you can protect yourself from your own internal investment monster that just tries to get you to do bad things at absolutely the wrong time. Today, we look at the third monster, cash. A lot of you may be wondering what to do with your cash, the cash that's been sitting on the sideline. Do you put it to work or do you continue to hold? We'll help you make sense of this and provide some context. But as always, if you haven't already, please subscribe and follow the show so you never miss an episode. Travis and I would also love to earn a five-star rating. And if you find this show to be a value, to have you leave a review. Your rating and review helps other listeners find us and hopefully become believers. Enjoy this last episode, and as always, it's your money and your life, and you only get one shot at this thing. We're here to help you get the most out of it. Thanks for being our guest. Well, welcome back to Ditch the Suit. Steve Campbell here with Travis Moss. Today, we are going to bring these investments monsters to a close as we finish up part three. We're calling this one the cash conundrum. We have a lot of people that are calling us, clients that are asking us, what do I do with all my cash? Maybe you're working with a financial advisor or a planner. You've had a lot of cash on the sidelines for a long time. And when you meet with them, you're asking about how do we deploy this cash? What should we be buying? Maybe you're heard, don't do anything. It's not a good time to invest. But is that true? So Travis is going to paint a picture for how we can start to look at a different way of how we invest our cash. But we want to start off with a little disclaimer. When you invest, you can lose money if you didn't know. So number one, make sure you know what you're doing or hire someone that does. Number two, before you invest, make sure you can cover at the very least your short-term liabilities, just in case market volatility dictates that you need to hold on to an investment longer than expected. With that disclaimer out of the way, Travis, get us right into how can we look at cash a little bit differently? I got a little bit of a, a scripted kind of um, discussion here because I got a lot of numbers today. That's okay. So I'll apologize. I'll try to keep it conceptual though. So in case somebody doesn't have paper with them while they're listening to this, you can get the general concept down. Yep. We're going to start with, we're going to get into cash. Um, definitely like how to look at cash a little bit differently or just investing in general. But this question comes up a lot right now. We, we had people coming in all for like the last 18 months. I have cash. Should I get it in the market? As an investor, I look at it and go, geez, that market, you know, the stuff that we would like to buy is really overpriced. So, you know, if you give us cash, you know, we don't have, and you don't make us put it in the market, we'd, we'd prefer maybe to uh, kind of sit on that cash a little bit. Maybe we're going to buy some short term bonds or something, try to make some interest and wait for market volatility so we can get some things at attractive prices. So, I want to kind of frame that with sequence of returns and what that means to an investor, because I think it'll, this is a little bit of a contrarian view of what it means to invest. And I always kind of like look at it this way. If your goal as an investor is to make 10% one year and you make 10% by the end of January, do you need to find another investment to make another 10%? Or could you just say, Hey, I won for the year. Hmm. But most investors go, I made 10%. Now how do I make another 10%? 
Right. Right. And so if you ask most people and said, what would be a good long-term average for you? They say, well, if I can make eight, 10%, I'd be really happy every year, year after yep. year. Yep. But yet when we make the 10%, we look at it and go, okay, how do we make 20% now this year? Hmm. Right. So we, we constantly, so there's a thing called sequence of returns. It's a reference to the way that really the performance of the market ebbs and flows. So think about it like this. If you make 10% today yep. on an investment, you make 10%. So a hundred to $110. Then you lose 5% tomorrow. Then you make 5% the next day. What's your average return? Or what's your return come out to be over the three days? 9.75%. Okay. Even though 100 plus 10 minus 5 plus 5 all comes out to 110, you still only got 9.75% because of the way compounding interest works. Okay. If you lose 10% today, make 10% tomorrow, and then make 10% the next day. So... You started at 100, minus 10, down to 90, plus 10, back up to 100, plus 10, up to 110. You still only averaged 8.9%. Because wow. after you lose 10, you can't just gain 10 back. Right. Right? Because when you make 10% back, you're making it off of 90 instead of off of 100. So you actually have to make more. So numbers can be really, really tricky. And when you're talking about investing, you're really talking about numbers. Yep. So, all right. So sequence of return is this idea that depending on the order of your returns, your the actual net result can be different, even if you could have got the same plus fives and minus fives and plus tens and minus tens as I did, but you still could have made more or less money than I did. Mm. It's, 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 a, it's, it's, a, it's a really fun thought experiment. So cash, uh, low interest rates right now. So you can't really go and, and, and buy much of anything, right? When you get a right. CD. You go right. put in your checking or savings or get a CD. So, well, what if I could buy bonds? So maybe if you get high quality bonds, you can get one or 2%. Uh, but think about what inflation was last year. You're actually losing money. You're not going anywhere. Yep. And when you buy a bond, the, the resale price can still go down. So you still have volatility. That's what you see on your statement is the resale price. Meaning, listen, you can make your 2% on the bond all you want, but if you wanted to sell me your bond, I'm not going to pay you as much tomorrow for it. That's the resale price. Yep. So, so even though you can make 1% or 2%, you could still lose money because that resale price could go down. And then if that happens on a bond, you have to wait for it matures so you can get all your money back. And you know, there's a kind of a process you have to wait through. So that doesn't really sound great. You know, okay, maybe I could get 1% or 2%, but it can still go down on me. You know, my performance could still... I could still have a bad day on my statement. Why do people buy bonds? Two primary reasons. They want to protect their principal yep. so that they can use it to rebalance their portfolio. It's a low correlated asset compared to stocks. We talked about low correlation a couple episodes ago. Yep. Right. So we get to try to balance our portfolio, number one. And number two, we need something in the reserve area, the, 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 the safer area to cover our liabilities. So if we know we're going to take out $25,000 a year out of our portfolio, and we only get $12,000 a year out of dividends, we need to make sure there's $13,000 a year that we can sell from our bond portfolio in case the stock market's down. Yep. So I need bonds to protect my principal so I can either buy more stuff when it's on sale or so that when everything's on sale, I don't have to sell it and I can still pay my bills. That's the point of it in, in the portfolio. Mm -hmm. And we want to try to make more than you can make in your CDs or your checking or your saving. In fact, if you're buying bonds 
and you're making less interest than you can make in your in a CD or your checking or savings, you probably should sell the bonds and just have money in checking savings CDs because there's less risk. Yep. All right. And in general, in general, just as a discussion point here, we're going to consider investment grade bonds as fairly safe investments in a portfolio. Yep. All right. So let's say you have extra cash, you come in and you don't actually need it for anything over, you know, for anything in the next six to 12 months. This not, is earmarked, extra money. Not, not earmarked for anything. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's, it's, it's emergency money, but you still got, you know, $30,000 credit line available to you and 20 grand in the checking account. And, you know, you don't have any other debts other than the mortgage. So it's emergency money, but the chances of you needing that, it would have to be a catastrophic emergency. So you say, you know what, I don't put this away. And I want to try to get it investing and, and making 5% a year. It'd yep. be really nice if I could make 5% a year. Now, those of you who have been investing a long time, you're going to, or, or, or can remember back to even the early 2000s, you could buy a CD at 5%. Mm-hmm. Well, you can't do that now, right? It's, it's just, they're not out there. So, all right, I can go buy a bond and maybe make one or 2%. Inflation's five or 6%. I'm in, or 7%. I'm in big trouble here. I'm losing money. What do I do? Okay, now I want to put my money in stocks then because if I can't make it in bonds, and this is part of the reason why maybe the stock market is so high because people are searching for, for a place to make money. Yep. So I'm going to go buy stocks then. Well, back to my earlier question. If you want to make 10%, or in this case, 5%, once you make 5%, do you have to keep trying to make another 5%? Let's say that over a three-year period, you'd like to average 15%. Do you need to make 15% one time? 5% three times? You know what I mean? You see what I'm getting at? Yep. Okay. So in an ideal world, you can make 5% a year on your bonds, but we don't live in an ideal world. This is the scripted part. Sorry. Just bear with me. So think back to 2020, the market crashed and because of COVID shutdown. What happened? These are actual performance numbers. On February 18th, the S&P 500 was up about 4.57 for the year. It dropped 35% from there by March 23rd. Yikes. It bounced back 46.5% by March 8th. Or by, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, by June 8th. So from March 23rd to June 8th, it recovered 46.5% for a total return of the year. So if you own something January 1st, all the way through June 8th, you would have made 0.94%, even though there was a 46.5% period return wow. in the market. So you went on this wild roller coaster. In fact, we wrote an article that likened it to a roller coaster. And you say, well, that's COVID. That doesn't happen all the time. October 1st, 2018 to April 11th, 2019, the S&P returned 0.22%. So kind of scenario, right? Pretty flat market. You want to say that that was exciting. Yeah, there was a market drop from October 1st to December 24th of 18.93%, followed by a market recovery December 25th to April 11th of 23.6%. And actually in there, you could, there's a couple of zigzags in there. You could have really taken advantage of, of all these. I mean, the market is really wild. It's moving all over the place. Yep. So think about this from a, from a standpoint of like our, our ladder analogy from the last episode, you're at the top of the ladder. The market's up 4.57% in February. It was overpriced. The market was overpriced at that time. 
and it goes all the way down 35%. So if you fell 35 feet off a ladder, it's going to hurt a ton, right? Yikes. Ouch. It was about four and a half percent high to begin with. So it was about an extra four or 5% higher than normal to begin with. So just it's insult to injury, essentially, right? Yep. So you fall all the way down there and you crash. All right. Now you get up because of your recency bias. You say, I'm not getting back on that ladder. This is dumb, right? right. Ladders hurt people. But if you were to climb that ladder back up there, right, you're only going to go back up about 54%, about halfway. You're only going, instead of going 35 feet to the top of the ladder, now you're only going to go 17 feet. Hmm. So now if you fall, it's going to hurt a lot less. It's going to hurt, but a lot less. So the point there is, by the time the market crashed, and it was all the way down 35%, all the risk was gone. Or not all the risk, it'd certainly go lower, but the bulk of the risk it was de-risking. Yep. If you put money in any time around there, maybe you put money in when it was 25% down. So you still lost another 10, you know, still went down. Yep. Maybe you put money in when it was, was started to recover and it was 20%, you know, halfway through that 46% recovery. The point is, is you've got all that room from that negative 35% all the way back up. And it's bigger than 35% because it's a smaller number you're starting from. Yep. So you could have caught any amount of that 46% recovery to put your cash in the market at that point. Mm -hmm. So let's say that you put your cash in the market at that point. You've been waiting for three years for, for, for an opportunity to put your money in. The market throws a fit. You throw your money in the market and you capture half of the recovery. Because maybe your timing just wasn't perfect, but you, you do get in there by the time it's at, it's already recovered 23%. You, you get another 23.5% recovery back to where the market was before the crash. And you say, okay, that's it. Give me my, that was a wild ride. Give me my money before I fall off the top of the ladder again. Mm -hmm. And you put it back in your cash. Now, this sounds like we're saying speculate, but what if it was just your regular portfolio? What if you looked at your bond and stock mix and your, and your household portfolio, your overall net worth, and you said, look, normally I have 60% of my money in stocks and I have 40% of my money in bonds, Yep, bonds and cash. But I want to get more of that bond and cash money into the market. So I'm going to take that and I'm going to deploy it over my stock money. What's the best time to do that? When the price is down. Yep. Even if... Once everything recovers and becomes riskier again, you say, you know what? I'll go back to my 60-40 mix. We call it a, a risk bump, but so basically you you just kind of shift. But if you're if you get the 20% return, if you get the delta on that, you made more than you would have made in your bonds. You just don't get it. We're so used to watching our statement and saying, I need to make interest every single day. Yep. But you don't. You need to make interest over periods of time. We're tracking it every day because you know we have ADD here. We're obsessive compulsive about this, but in reality, it's over longer. It's you don't you don't cash your retirement account out the day you retire. You spread right. it over the next thirty five years of your life. Right. So the same thing happens here. You don't have to make all the return, you know, up front. It can it can come more sporadic, and if you, really, if you frankly, if you looked at your investments over the last thirty years of your investing career, if you've been investing that long, you'll see a lot of your returns come in very sporadic times. It's really boring, really boring, and we've told that to investors. Really boring, followed by a lot of excitement, 
followed by mostly boring. Mm -hmm. So when the markets is crazy, real investors get excited. When the markets get boring, you know, most of the time, people who aren't really certain on how to invest based on fundamentals, that's normally when they start to get antsy. So you threw out a lot of dates, fun exercise, just to make sure Travis and I aren't full of bull. Uh, go pull up your 401k and just look at the last five years performance, right? Look at the dates that we shared with you and you'll see significant dips probably in your 401k if you stayed invested. So you can see <clears throat> some of these times from COVID and then just again, late in 2018, how you saw that the market you know, kind of took a dip. So what we're talking about is you know, you now have this cash. And if I think back to conversation number one, the majority of investors that are working probably have their money in 401ks. Maybe if that process worked for you while you're working, you now have maybe some money in an old 401k that you've rolled into an IRA. You're investing money outside of your workplace pan. Maybe you went and bought more mutual funds. So you're an investor who's always used mutual funds. In episode number one, we talked about maybe you're not as diversified as you thought you were. And just owning a whole bunch of mutual funds doesn't equal diversification, meaning that when the markets go awry, either because of COVID or just economic things, that your money is going to consistently hold up the way you thought it was. We, we shared with you some ideas of maybe even owning 20 to 100 different securities or investments might be a better source of diversification than just owning this huge hodgepodge of portfolios. What you're talking about, though, is when you have cash and you go to put it to work, Imagine if you did hold 20 to 100 investments or you did have 20 to 100 investments you'd like to own because there's a plan. When the market goes down, some of those investments might be on sale when others aren't. So when the market goes down, what you're talking about is when the market gets yep. crazy, real investors get excited because maybe you've been eyeing a number of different investments you'd like to buy, but you're sure not going to pay a premium for it. So we're not just saying take money that you've been holding in cash. And there are people that we've worked with and that we're talking to and that call us that sometimes have hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash. So we're not always talking about small amounts of money. We're not just talking about the next time you see the market go down 15%, go, hey, those two guys said to throw some money into the market. Let's just throw it into whatever I have. You want to be intentional and have a purpose to everything that you're going to own. Because again, if you know that there's good investments that just gotten beaten up for some reason, but again, you look at the track record of them, you feel good about them. We did an investment series, a few podcast episodes before. So if you missed that, it was at the end of 2021. Check it out as an investment series. Just because there is a sector doesn't mean that every company in that sector is bad. So you want to make sure that you're picking investments that have an opportunity to have a track record, even if they've gotten beaten up. So what we're trying to say is if you've entrusted somebody to help you manage money on your behalf, just make sure that the story isn't always just stay the course, put your head in the sand, and we'll figure this out. You're hiring somebody because you want them to make meaningful moves that can help put your family in the best position possible, to live the life you want to live, to retire the way you want to retire. And the way that you can do that outside of your nine to five and paycheck is to invest money in the market where there's good deals to be had. But you got to know what you're doing. You got to know when you need to respond. And many times it's counterintuitive, as we talked about in episode number two of this series, it's going to go against what everything in your flesh and emotion is telling you what to do. When the market starts to go down, it's super easy uh, to feel like, honey, we're not going to go out and buy anything because you feel the effects of your money being down. You want to sell things because it kind of gives you this false sense of security that might actually be the right time if you have a plan in place to put that money to work. So we hope that this investment series, as we said, you should always go seek professional help before taking any action just to make sure that you're not just acting irrationally. But we hope that this information in this investment series is helping you make sense of kind of the times that we're living in, 
that there are some things that you can predict that you know is coming. And then sometimes, as we've all experienced over the last two, two and a half years, you get thrown some curveballs that no one could have ever been, you know, see coming. It will affect the stock market. When it does affect the stock market, there is real money to be made, but you got to have a plan in place. So if you should have any questions at all, please do not hesitate to reach out to Travis and I. We hope that there was a lot of numbers, there's a lot of dates, there's a lot of things that we gave you, but a great exercise you can do, go pull up your 401k statement, your mutual fund statement, look at the last five years, look at some of the things that we shared uh, in these, ask for those correlation uh, numbers that we told you to ask about and start to take meaningful action in your life that can help you to get on the road to financial freedom. So again, thanks for stopping by Ditch the Suits. We hope it inspired you. Go out and live your best life. You only get one shot at this thing. Thanks for being our guest. Well, thanks for listening. We appreciate you taking the time to listen to this entire episode. Uh, we hope that this information has inspired you and empowered you to go out and live your best life. But let's be honest, you might have a question or two about some of the things we talked about today. If this is you, Travis and I are here to help in any way that we can. You can reach out to us and follow us on social media on Facebook at CPG. You can send us an email, uh, info at cpg.com. Just let us know in the email. This is in regards to ditch the suits, a question or topic you might want us to cover. Or you can visit our website, which is seedpg.com. That's seedpg.com. Head up to that right corner, fill out that contact us button, and just let us know in the comments that this is in regards to Ditch the Suits. If you have a question, a series of questions, or anything we can do to help you on your journey to financial freedom, Travis and I are here to help. So again, it's your money and it's your life. You only get one shot at this thing. Our job is to make sure you get the most out of it. Thanks for being our guest. And until next time, have a great day. Thanks for listening. Ready to ditch the suits? Remember, it's your money and your life. For more information, visit seedpg.com. That's seedpg.com. If this podcast has impacted you, we ask that you subscribe or follow so you never miss an episode. And be sure to share with a friend.